Welcome to Reliability Matters, a podcast for the electronic assembly industry. Each episode covers topics related to reliability, best practices, and environmentally responsible assembly techniques with insights from experts across the electronic assembly industry. Now, here's your host, Mike Conrad. Welcome back to uh, Reliability Matters. I appreciate you being here. Um, we, today is kind of a special episode uh, where normally we concentrate on all the subjects that have to do with reliability. Um, I guess we, we, we can connect the dots if we go a long way. This could be related to reliability, but certainly not directly. Today we're going to talk about the sales and marketing of the products that you buy uh, that affect reliability. There you go. There's a connection. Uh, we're going to talk to a number of sales representatives, manufacturers' representatives within the EMS space. And the reason that uh, we're all getting together today is because so much has changed, particularly in the last year and a half or so with COVID, uh, in the way we uh, communicate uh, information, technical information, and others, other types of information to end users between the manufacturer and the end user. So we're going to connect those dots, and uh, we're going to... Um, uh, talk to manufacturers reps about what's changed from the uh, from the past, uh, what effect COVID-19 had in our industry and on our industry, and then where we're going in the future. So uh, without any further ado, let me introduce our panel today. Uh, we have David Leventhal from Restronics. We have Joan Carroll, uh, a.k.a. Joan Kennedy, uh, from uh, Restronics also. We have Murray Percival Jr. from Murray Percival, and we have Todd Whitmer from Whitco Sales. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Let's do a little round robin. Let's start with David, and uh, tell me about Restronics uh, and, the, and the territories that you serve. So Restronics is a nearly national sales rep organization. We have 13 branches around the country with 26 employees, and uh, we've been in business for over 40 years. I've been with Restronics for over 20 years, and uh, while each branch is slightly different in terms of the exact lines we have, we do serve the same customer base uh, uh, all over the country, which is electronics manufacturers, contract manufacturers, OEMs, et cetera. Excellent. Thanks, David. Joan, tell me about your territory. I cover um, Restronics in Florida. I've been with the company for 12 years. Um, I've owned the territory for two years. And um, prior to that, I was in a components rep. So I've seen this industry from a few different vantage points. Murray Percival Jr., uh, tell me about your company. Uh, you bet, Mike. So uh, the Murray Percival Company is a uh, third-generation company, uh, manufacturer's rep distributor, and we're celebrating our uh, 61st year in business. So we're pretty excited about that. We cover Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, and Western Pennsylvania, and we've been with a lot of our principals and customers for a long, long time, and I've been with the company for uh, 44 years. Thanks, Mike. Wow. Uh, David, again, remind me what year Restronics started? Restronics started in 1980. So we're in business uh, 41 years. I joined, I joined Restronics in 99. So by comparison to Murray Percival Company, you're a brand new company. Yeah, <laughs> you're a startup, basically. So started. Murray, you win, you win the prize for, uh, right. for awesome. longevity. Awesome. Right. Awesome. awesome. And uh, Todd, uh, tell me a little bit more about Whitco Sales. Yes, we're in Whitco Sales out of Southern California, everywhere from the border. We do have a partner that covers Baja, Mexico, uh, but we're Southern California and Southern Nevada. 
and we uh, basically go up to the northern the northern and southern midpoint which is around santa barbara san luis obispo area and uh my dad started the company tom whitmer he started back in 1989 so i guess we're going to be celebrating our 33rd year i came aboard in 2012 so as my dad's loyal customers like to call me i am the junior when we walked in the door yeah very good and uh, we'll get the, into this in a little bit more detail. You certainly came from um, a completely different industry. And I think that we'll get more into that in detail in, in a bit. But I think your experience in that last industry probably helped you uh, in this industry from a communication standpoint. Uh, but uh, you, you were certainly, you know, quote unquote, the new kid in town, right? Um, and, uh, and so I'm anxious to talk about your journey with that fresh perspective when, when we get there. Let's talk about uh, old, you know, quote unquote, old business practices versus new business practices. So I, I started my company back in 1992. Um, and compared to all you guys, we're the youngest company here. So, um, <laughs> and that's 29 years. So back then, I remember, you know, doing a lot of what I like to call windshield time with our sales reps. You know, where we just drove for endless number of hours or days and made sales calls along the way and, you know, grabbed lunch, literally grabbed lunch at gas stations and, you know, ate them in the car and, and then just kept going. And, uh, and the trunks of all of our sales reps cars were totally unusable for anything other than business because they were filled with crates, these little plastic crates, you know, like milk crates. And within those crates were, you know, a hundred different file folders with brochures and line cards. And then outside the crates were samples and spare parts and things like that. And, and back then you, you people were our delivery system. You were the, the, the channel in which information flowed, right? Um, because it took too long to mail something. It was too expensive to FedEx something. So we would call our sales rep, uh, before email, we'd call our sales rep and say, this customer called, go see them. And, and in the car you would go. So a lot has changed since then. So, so uh, someone uh, step up and, and talk about how sales practices were in the early days contrasted to how they are now. And, and not just sales practice, but just communication practices, service, you know, support, um, maintaining a relationship with your customer. What's changed over the years and how much of it maybe is for the better and maybe, maybe not? Yeah, I'll, I'll chime in, Mike, because, you, you know, you describe a, a world that we all lived in and we thought we were super efficient, doing a great job back then. Now, when you describe it, it just sounds painfully inefficient and slow um, because of the speed at which communications has changed in the last you know, 15 years. I mean, think about trade show and magazines, trade shows, all of that has been so greatly compressed by the, you know, uh, the internet, basically. Google has replaced a lot of that stuff. And then, of course, then the COVID uh, pandemic hit and uh, people got even more comfortable with digital methodology for, you know, starting their search. So some of those practices, I think, that, that have been em employed over the last year will uh, retain, will remain. And, but I think people still do want to deal with, with other people. And we consider ourselves, and I'm sure everybody on this call are, uh, trusted advisors. And we can talk more about that as time goes on. Sure. 
Anyone else have a... Yeah, if I want to chime in really quick, sorry. It's, uh, it was fun working with dad in the beginning and learning this industry, as I've heard about these magical times that you talk about uh, from driving around and having to use a payphone to contact customers and, and confirm your visits to using a Rand McNally nap to get around the area of a new territory. Uh, so I was blessed to come in where I already had this technology working for me uh, to make it a little bit easier and a little bit more efficient but it's been fun going and seeing the yin and the yang, so to say, of how to relate to customers. And when you walk in, um, just the certain protocols that you go to when you're going through the solution process with somebody and someone that you have a relationship and someone that you're building a relationship. For example, my dad started with slideshows and brochures, as you mentioned, pamphlets, and now it's all YouTube videos and PDFs. And our customer already knows a good base about what they're even looking at before we walk in the door. Some of my customers won't even respond to me unless I text them. It used to be emails and phone calls, but now it's text. So those are just some of the little quirks that you have to kind of embrace as you go along. Excellent. Murray, you were about to say something. Yeah, I was just, it brings back a lot of memories for me. I mean, uh, in Western Michigan, in the middle of the winter, we had uh, select phone booths we would go to with the longest cords. So we could uh, roll down the window and make the phone call and check with our secretary back then to uh, her. She would read the pink slips off all the messages that we got. And, and uh, so brings back memory memories. We, we would drop off literature all the, all over the place and brochures and then go reload things back up. And today we call that spilling the candy because uh, <laughs> you know, until you really know what uh, the customer really wants and uh, uh you know, and, and do you? And most of the time, they're not quite sure what they want. What they think they want is not always what they want or need. So, you know, it's more today about really understanding um, what the real issues are, and then adding value, right? And I'll just point out that even though all that's changed, there's a, a Mana magazine, which is uh, something we belong to for reps. They have a code of ethics written in 1947, and. Uh, the four areas are sales agency responsibilities to the manufacturer, uh, the manufacturer's responsibilities to the rep, our responsibilities to the customer, and the responsibilities of uh, one sales agency to another. And these rules still today stand firm and strong. So lots have changed, but what we do deep down inside is not. Yeah, I guess the, the core principle of a manufacturer's representative remains the same. The goal remains the same, the journey uh, is, is a little bit different. Uh, Joan, what's your perspective over the, the last several years of, of working as a rep? Well, even going back to the early days as well, the, the customer lobby was always kind of a hubbub of activity with the um, many reps in there, maybe waiting to use the phone to call somebody who would actually be at their desk. So that, and having a receptionist there to, uh, to greet you and what companies have found now is that their employees, engineers are, are capable of making their own appointments and managing their visitors and not having that manned and staffed uh, lobby to, uh, to have many people, revolving door salespeople coming and going. Yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly, uh, I've experienced the same thing. It, it used to be, you know, the old days, we would get out of the car, uh, with or without an appointment, walk into the lobby. There was always a receptionist who always knew the, the sales rep. And we'd usually say hello, sign in, 
uh, say, hey, I'm going to go see Bob, right? And then just open the door, walk down a hallway of offices, pop into four or five of them, say hello. Uh, you know, how's your dog? How's your kid? You know, is your wife feeling better? Is your husband feeling better? Whatever. And then eventually get to the person we intended to see and then sit down and talk about fishing and, and whatever. And then, and then business and then, and then leave. And then we go on to the next place. And now... First of all, there is no receptionist. There is no like visitor lobby. It's just a small room with a locked door and a phone <laughs> at best. <laughs> and and you just can't walk in anymore, right? They, It's kind of locked down. So even the idea of a visitor lobby conference room where, you know, the, the appointment would come out and, and sit with you is vastly going away. So um, there's there's more of a, a wall from what I can see uh, as a, as a, as an, uh, as a principal, uh, there's a little bit more of a wall between the end user, uh, or the influencer within the company and, and the sales rep, and of course the manufacturer. So, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I hate to admit this, but pretty much all the decision makers now are younger than us. Right. And, and, uh, they have a different way of, of doing business. They, you know, they'd like to become self-educated before they make the first phone call or before they send the first email. At least that's been my experience. Um, th there is a, a, a grain of uh, people in this industry, we call it the silver tsunami or the gray tsunami, where a lot of the old sages, the people who know where all the process skeletons are buried, are leaving. And they're being replaced by younger people with maybe a little bit less process knowledge. You know, uh, for example, Collins Aerospace, uh, formerly Rockwell Collins, has Doug Pauls, who's kind of the, 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 the subject matter expert on all things to do with cleaning. And, and they have, uh, uh, or had, I think he's retired now, or partially retired, Dave Hillman, who was the, you know, the conformal coding guru within the entire company. And um, as these people retire, there's not gonna be one process expert anymore. Which means, for better or for worse, a lot of companies now are uh, relying on their their uh, OEMs, their their uh, equipment suppliers and and component suppliers, consumable suppliers, to provide the information, which is not always the best source of information. Because of course, if someone calls me, my you know my machine will be the one they should buy, and if they call my competitor, their machine will be the one they they should buy, and and they're not quite unbiased so how in your experience do we overcome that you know what extra i don't want to say burden but what extra value does a manufacturer's rep have to provide in order to bridge that knowledge gap to be able to supply enough background knowledge so that the customer can make an informed decision and still be unbiased enough so you don't come across as just you know an infomercial for for your principal that it is that something that has been experienced are you seeing that in in the industry right now i i think that we are all selling trust and um you know the the best thing we can do for a customer is when, when we are called in and we still are called in it's just not the only way anymore there's obviously a lot of new methodologies because you're, you're you're actually touching on a bunch of topics here one is the essence of what we all have to do is generate new demand capture demand at the moment when some new engineer that we're not familiar 
with is starting to look for some new product or process or solve a problem. So we have to be a trusted advisor. We can't just be pushing and forcing our products, you know, down a guy's throat. We, you know, the best thing we could do at some point is to say, you know what, here's what we're offering, but it's really not appropriate or ideal for you. You know, you're better off looking at this other product or process. It's more, I think that helps build a trusting relationship. I would think that all of us on this call, you know, often enough are saying, you know what, here's what you might consider, but it's probably not ideal, or here's a better way to look at it. I think Murray touched on it. We offer a pretty wide range of solutions that give the new younger engineer some options to consider. That's my thought. So Dave, when you're ready to leave Restronics, we'd love to have you on our team. <laughs> uh, because I, I think you, uh, I think you Let's nailed it. I mean, it's, uh, it's a famous saying that says, people really don't know what you care People really don't know what want to know what you know until they know that you care. So it's really about building that relationship up front with these folks, and you you kind of nailed that. Um, sometimes we're not the right fit for them, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's okay. Uh, yeah. But helping them that first go around and that and that relationship, and then helping them solve their problem and making them successful is the first and most important step towards a long term relationship. And many of us have those long-term relationships with people for 20, 30 years that we've been calling on. So I think you nailed it. But we have the younger generation. So I know with Restronics, we have five people under, you know, in, the, in our, their 30s on our team, and they're building that same relationship with their peers. So you know, I still have my relationships, and I'm sure all of us on this call have our long relationships. And I'm called in. I was, you know, it's such a to me, it's such a, a high to get called in. Yesterday, we made three sales calls. You get called in for one thing, and all of a sudden you uncover three things that you had no idea that they were interested in or kicking the tires. So it's a great feeling. It created all this new opportunity. It's just terrible now in retrospect, and as Mike described earlier, it's just terribly inefficient to rely on the sales remembering to talk about a certain product that day. So from Mike's point of view or, or equipment supplier's point of view, we need all these new digital tools, you know, whether it's LinkedIn or Zoom or or the websites or SEO, but the old fashioned way of selling and uncovering stuff is still valuable. It's just slow and inefficient compared to the new stuff. Yeah, well, I think sense. you can still take a hybrid approach to that too with yeah. you're, you're in there with your trusted relationship and working closely mm -hmm. with them, but you're also responding quickly when they're looking, you know, they're looking on the internet for information and uh, they come to you and you need to get back with them as quickly as possible. They're scanning of a worldwide view of what may uh, solve their problems. That makes sense. I uh, hate to admit this, uh, but it, it, with all uh, due, um, dis due disclosures, Many years ago, I predicted the death of the sales rep industry, right? Uh, many years ago, just because as I saw everyone kind of going digital and email and the internet and people putting all the uh, technical resources online, you know, my thought was at some point we'll just be direct. There, there'll be no more reps. The last rep will retire or win the lottery and then no one will take their place. And of course, I've rethought all that because I was proven wrong it, instead of because I was basing the value of a sales rep to the customer and to the principal um, based on old school, you know, that, that they were the delivery method. They were the bird dogs. They were the ones that, that called in the lead and they were the ones that did all the follow-up and 
delivered, as I said earlier, all the, all the uh, collateral material. And, you know, some of that was, you know, easily replaced. You know, we can get information to the customer faster than you can get in a car and drive there, right? And, um, but, you know, I, I, what I failed to realize all those years ago when I predicted uh, the death of, a, of an industry uh, was that there are other, many other values uh, besides just the delivery of information that someone between a manufacturer and uh, a buyer can provide. So uh, tell me what some of those other value-added services are, um, other than just the delivery of information, the, the, the bird-dogging of a, of a lead, you know, hey, Murray, the, you know, we, might, we might need a cleaner you know, next week or something. Besides that, um, how have sales uh, manufacturers' representatives, sales reps, stepped up to provide value that was uh, that that's kind of new and and an alternate value to what uh, used to be the, the 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 primary value of a sales rep. Well, Mike, if I can start, this kind of circles back to what everyone so brilliantly said in the last question: that sales rep has become more of a consultant or more of a personal advisor uh, to some of their customers. And like Maury said. Uh, at the end of my last career, there was two things that I would end people with, two life lessons. And one is love people, not things, use things, not people. And people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And he had pointed that out as well. And I think that is the focus. And it's great to see that everybody shares the same belief on that's the culture that a sales rep or advisor uh, needs to go in and help their customers with. Murray also said that sometimes you walk in and the customer has a pretty good idea of, of what they want, but after talking to them and discovering some of the pains and some of the challenges that their facility is going through, uh, you uncover a whole different set of directions. So it's our job to sit down and to be eager with our product, but also know that there are a, a handful of solutions out there and just really to listen to the customer and uncover all of their needs before moving forward. Mike, I, I think, um, um, you know, the other beauty of this is you talked about these new engineers, right, that are coming into our industry and their knowledge of the whole process is pretty darn limited, right? So one of the things that we're able to bring is the whole process knowledge. So we've been in this a long time, all of us, and we have lots of different products that all fit together. And so, you know, understanding a conformal coating machine is one thing, but then understanding the material set how clean the board's got to be, and all the other things that go along with that. And you know this from your cleaning side of the world. It's not just, I need a clean board, right? There's so much more involved. And I think that's where we really add value because we, we bring that knowledge and um, are able to help them with the whole process, not just what they think is the problem. Yeah, that and makes I sense. think that's especially true, Murray, because as, as Mike mentioned earlier, a lot of the engineers are much younger than we are. They've been working at one or two companies only. They've only seen what their own companies do. We see 50 companies. We see, you know, 30 different versions of cleaning methodology or static control methodology. And we bring ideas that they hadn't even thought of. Yes, they can Google it, but they all know that, and again, some of our principals had actually done some research that you know, certainly when it comes to capital equipment, they'll do 70% of their research online. But when they narrow it down to the last two or three machines, if they're spending fifty dollars to $100,000, they're calling in a knowledgeable salesperson. And, and if you're doing it only through Zoom remotely from one of the principal's offices, you have no idea what the body language is. You have no idea what the competitive nature is. 
if we're there on site, we, we understand how to navigate that. And we'll also know that guy, that young engineer's boss often. So we're at, you know, other levels in that same organization. So that's some of the things that the reps, you know, experienced reps can do as long as they are, you know, as uh, Murray and Todd said, trustworthy, have the right, you know, vision and, and uh, you know, ethics behind their organization. Yeah, makes sense. Joan, anything to add to that? Well, I, I see a lot of these engineers that come in that maybe are recruited right out of um, college to go into training programs and they're, um, they're assigned to a specific area. So like maybe it is um, inspection equipment or something and it's just, they're not looking and maybe it, where it's coming from. They're not looking at, well, I have to solve, I have to see where I can find the defects in this and they're looking at just that particular window instead of looking across the board where an expert that's been around Liz Murray mentioned um, can provide that perspective to look yeah, at the big picture. All those comments are great and I, I, I agree that's been my experience from the principal side. Um, I think the one comment that lands the loudest to me was I, th I think David said this is you know you guys are looking at things from a press box view where the, if, if we didn't have sales reps, manufacturers representatives, then, then the client would be calling the cleaner company and then they'd be calling the waste treatment company, then they'd be calling the chemical company, you know, or, you know, they're having a printing problem. They'll, they'll, they have to deal with all these separate companies because se several different factors can create, you know, can contribute to a particular problem. And, uh, by having more of a press box view, by having a manufacturer's representative represent pretty much all of the component, uh, machine component um, uh, participants in producing a circuit assembly uh, really helps because it, otherwise you're only gonna get an answer based on a very narrowly focused perspective, you know, if you're dealing just with the manufacturer. Because um, most manufacturers really don't know as much about processes to the left or right of their equipment than they do their equipment. So, um, and I also know, I can speak from a, from a manufacturer standpoint, that if a customer is having a problem and they feel we are not, as a manufacturer, providing adequate support, we get a call from the manufacturer's rep and, and that comes in loud, right? I mean, it should be, the customer should be the loudest in terms of how we interpret that, that, uh, that information. But sometimes a call from the rep will cause us to maybe back down off of our stubborn ledge and, and go, oh, okay, fine, we'll cover it under warranty, even though the customer did something that they shouldn't have done. Um, because, you know, the, the manufacturer's rep provides a little bit more insight, you know, to uh, the relationship they have with that customer. And, and we want to honor we're that. Like we're the on-site responsible party. If we recommended you and either Kaizen or Zestron or whatever, we're responsible to help that process get fixed. Not right. you. You're sitting, your team is sitting in California, thousands of miles away. You have no real long relationship with that account. We're the, we're the responsible party. So that I think adds value and our customers know that. And that's what builds the trust over time for all of us. And again, that's how we get new opportunities. When we're in there on a cleaning problem, we find some robotic application or some soldering application. So while, again, you know, the ultimate essence of all this is how do we create new demand? It's, as Joan said, it's using multitude of these new options in addition 
to the old, you know, face-to-face -face selling stuff. Which sure. Is, and speaking of old face-to-face -face selling stuff, COVID-19, we've all been hit by, in one way or the other, COVID-19. Fortunately, uh, much of the electronic assembly industry has remained pretty robust during the entire process. I think we probably had about a month or six weeks where, uh, like last March of, of 20, where, you know, states started to shut down. California, where I live, is one of the first states to shut down. And, and we didn't, you know, w when they first announced the shutdown, we thought there would be a National Guard on the freeways, you know, shooting people who are driving to work. You know, we didn't know. Um, and I think the entire, we watched pretty much the entire industry freeze for about 30 or 40 days. Everyone just kind of had that deer in the headlights and uh, look, and, and everyone thought at the time the shutdown would be about 30 to 45 days, right? That's, that's what we were told. And so I think much of the electronic industry, much of the industry around the world in general, just shut down for that period of time. I mean, the phone stopped ringing, the email stopped coming, uh, everything was just scarily frozen. And then I think most of our industry realized that this is not a short-term shutdown. This is not gonna go away anytime soon. The information actually got worse, but because of that, I think a lot of companies said, okay, well, we're not gonna wait this out or we'll be out of business. And, and one by one, they very quickly all turn back on their factories. And, and I think largely most of our industry has, has fared pretty well during the, during the pandemic. In fact, some flourished during the pandemic, depending on what they were manufacturing. But I remember we got, um, like the next day, we got emails from some of our customers, passed through emails from Department of Defense. And loosely paraphrasing the emails, it was like, don't you dare shut down, you're required to stay open um, and give these, these letters to all your employees in case they're stopped by the National Guard, you know, the, they, they have permission to work. And, and it turned out nobody really cared, no one, no one checked. But um, I think a lot of our industry has, has you know, fared fairly well. The, the big issues were the sales reps, the manufacturers reps in the field, all of a sudden got locked out. And, and uh, many of the, uh, your customers just came up with a policy pretty much overnight that no visitor, absolutely no visitor policy. And the employee cannot go to a, a conference uh, if there were still conferences. And the employee cannot go down the street to see one of a demo machine or, or something. You know? So there was basically no travel and no, no one leaving, no one coming in. So how did your industry adapt to that? Because that is a big part of your model is, is going in and not, not maybe as much as a percentage as the old days, quote unquote, where it was all going in, um, but that still remains part of your model. So how, how did that um, blockade, that embargo of human trafficking, you know, in and out um, affect you guys? Well, uh, for my perspective, and I have the sort of relatively national organization, it was it was painful. And thank goodness it's virtually over. I mean, we're back out. Some of our customers still have some restrictions, but for the most part, we can get into our accounts, certainly lobby visits um, and deeper dive. It's just a little bit more challenging because some of our customers are still, the engineering management team is still working from home two days a week and in the office three days a week or vice versa. But as you said, business continued. I mean, many of our customers are military, security, and defense. They didn't slow down last year. We actually had a good year from an equipment point of view. 
Uh, many companies could not find employees, so they automated a lot more processes than they had anticipated automating. But uh, I'm just happy it's over because I do believe that we're getting back to you know more traditional face-to-face with the knowledge that many customers are comfortable on a Zoom call at any point in time. That expedited certainly rapidly, but I do I'm very confident that every call that I've made in the last three months has been like, this is freaking awesome that we're able to create new opportunities, see people, you know, sometimes masked, many times no longer masked. So uh, we're back to almost back to normal, almost. It feels that way. Yeah, yeah for sure. It, it, it was it, painful, but we just needed to, you know, just always be present and always mm-hmm. have our name out there and always offer assistance and advice. Uh, that was a hard thing, just sending out, you know, tons of emails and blasts and phone calls. And even though they didn't get returned, because what we found in the last, you know, 16, 18 months is people are only calling you now when they need something. And it's yeah. no longer just, you know, stop mm-hmm. by and check on the entire process because right. the essential visits are just for sales and, or service and support, no longer sales. Sales is done completely off key. So that was one of the uh, the challenging things. But, you know, as David had mentioned last time, Use your your rep to your advantage because we happened to stop into a customer probably a couple months ago that we hadn't seen just because of this whole COVID experience. And he was using a $60,000 piece of equipment as a paperweight because there was some overlap with it not working and there was some software issues. And as soon as we picked up the phone and as Mike said, you know, when they hear from their reps, they know something's going on. We called the, the vendor, it, it was fixed, and now that's one of his favorite processes. So if you're a customer and you're out there, use us to your advantage. We're not just in there you know, showing you what is the latest and greatest and what we have to sell today. We're also there to fully support every single one of your solutions that you have. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's, a, that's part of the value added. Joan, it looked like you were about to say something. Just maybe, taking maybe, a breath. Oh, yeah. taking a breath. Okay. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to ask um, more specifically, David, your company is in uh, how many states? Did you say 13 states or 13 We have 13 branches. We have 13 branches and we're in in, uh, 41 states. 41 states. Okay. So how does a national rep firm um, with different lines in different territories and different styles, different personality. I'm talking about regional personalities. You know, I'm, I, it, how much is selling in New York different than selling in California uh, from, you know, in, in the nitty gritty? Uh, how can you successfully, think, you know, implement your sales strategies across the country? Yeah, I mean, certainly we have different lines in different territories, right? So we're the you know, Yamaha pick and place rep in half the country and Panasonic in four territories. And, you know, you know, the, the fact that we're selling Panasonic in Georgia has really no bearing on the fact that Joan is selling Yamaha pick and place in Florida. I mean, we're not we're not cross pollinating any of the information. Joan has no reason to call up our guy in Georgia and say, what's the pricing? I mean, it, we would never do that. That would just jeopardize our reputation. And the only thing we have is our reputation because we don't have any physical products. We just have reputation, reputation and trust. So so we each branch, each of our offices is uh, tries to be the best they can be in that geography. And um, we try to do the same things that Murray said was written in 1946 about what does it take to be a proper rep and be a, an advisor at a high level. Um, what has changed, of course, is the 
number of consumable products. Those are what I call more transactional. The distribution product lines continue to shrink. And it's more now about capital equipment and automation and process. It used to be about, you know, how many soldering irons or how many wrist straps. And there's still some of that, but that world is changing. I mean, circuit boards can be made anywhere. Uh, so the, the hand work is done generally offshore. But um, so the product lines change, the methodology has changed, but the style I think is the same. So back in the day when uh, I used to travel with our, our sales partners, um, you, you, you folks, there, there were, you know, in the early days, you always wore a tie, you know, um, and then it became a polo. And then, you know, now it's pretty much, uh, you know, <laughs> a t-shirt and shorts or something. Sure. But, yeah. but uh, there were, as that started to change, as the formality started to change, there were parts of the country where if you showed up with a tie, they, they, would, they would like get out a pair of scissors and, and threaten to cut it off, right? They were almost offended if you wore if you dressed up too much. Um, and it, 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 with that said, do you find, David, that, and, and everyone that, that has you know, larger territories, do you find that, that the cultural norms, the customs, the expectations of what you provide and how you provide it and how you deliver it vary from location to location? Uh, are there still areas where it's a little bit more old school? Are there areas where it's a little bit more modern? You know, and, and how, do you, how do you, from a, um, a manager standpoint, understand those nuances between a California sale and a Florida sale versus a Chicago sale or, or a, a Boston sale? I mean, I think we're looking at people from all over the country on this podcast, and everybody is saying the same thing. They're all saying, we need to be a trusted advisor. We need to add value. We need to be in front of the customer as often as possible. The style of what Joan is wearing versus what the guy is wearing in the Pacific Northwest, I don't know. You know that's a, we leave that up to the local people, and I'm sure everybody here would say the same thing. So um, I don't see that many differences other than just sort of trappings, not the essence of what we do. Yeah. Yeah, I think that yeah, we, the internet, uh, the world has shrunk because of modern communication, and we'll probably have more similarities and differences than we did, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah, and we see um, maybe not from region to region, but maybe size of company, the size of the company, like calling on a small, a smaller one uh, company to um, maybe one or two lines to more of a corporate structure where there's several levels of management and maybe that style you know requires a different level of savvy to um, to mm -hmm. make sure you're touching all the right people uh, reaching out to um, getting buy-in from the different um, decision makers because as, as the companies are larger and maybe even some might not even be in the territory it might be more of a corporate location or those subject matter experts like you mentioned before yeah joan well i have right I, oh sorry uh, todd go ahead finish that thought no off. i was just going to completely agree with joan uh, just the facilities even just in southern california base that we see um you know some of us laugh in my dad has always taught me that just a show of respect is to go in with a uh, at least a shirt and a tie uh when you go in to, to to make a call and a presentation but some of the people will give you a hard time about that and some of the people really you know like that process so it's getting to know your customers getting to know your environment and i think everything needs to be approached almost like um not from us to the customer but almost like a teaching or a coach where there's different people that have 
different things that they will react to uh, the best way possible. So it's not only about the presentation that we have when we walk in, but it's also our product knowledge that we're selling them because some people will call you in and they have no idea what they're looking for versus some people that have already done hours and hours of research and they're just looking for you to validate their decision. Yeah. I was always a believer that, um, you know, the old days that you wore a coat and tie and then eventually it just became a shirt and tie. And then it became a, a you know, logo polo or something like that, a golf shirt. Um, whatever it is, I, I still am a staunch believer in however the customers are dressed, you ought to be able to tell the salesperson in the room. You know, you ought to just one level up, not for dominance, but just for respect, right? That's just right. old school. But it's funny how we've went from uh, coat and tie to... Uh, shirt and tie to button up to polo. And now we're doing meetings with customers. We're prob probably not even wearing pants because <laughs> we're all on camera now. So, you know, it definitely has it, been a slippery slope, not in a good direction. But, um, nope. yes, you, Murray, yes. But the funny yeah. thing is you also yeah. don't want to be the guy with the best looking watch in the room because then nobody will want to buy anything for right, you because right. you're the most successful. So. Or, <laughs> Or, or roll up in your, you know, in, in your Mercedes S class and and take a customer to lunch, right? Exactly, Murray. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, you know, so with all that being said, so here we now are on video, right? And so uh, we're not walking in the door right anymore, but we're trying to carry on the same philosophies and all the things we just touched on over video, and uh, with everybody working at home and. Uh, kind of slacking a little bit maybe at times early on with these video uh, meetings. Uh, it's pretty easy to dress down easy or put a sweatshirt on because you're not leaving the house, right? So now we got to think through this and, and carry this on and look professional when we're on these uh, uh, video calls. So just to, uh, you know, that's a struggle for us sometimes, but uh, it's something that we need to keep, continue to work at. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. But Murray, don't you also think that if you do have a video call or a presentation coming up, just to, to dress yourself up, it gives you a little bit more confidence and a little bit more encouragement for the day than if you're just throwing on a sweatshirt and hopping in front of the computer. So I feel like it, it is hard to motivate yourself these days, but just going through that process, like you're going out on sales calls sometimes, is enough to really kickstart the day. Absolutely. I agree. I agree with you, Todd. Yep. Joan, let's talk about... Um, what, what could be considered a, you know, elephant in the corner here, uh, women in the electronics industry. And when I say elephant in the corner, you know, obviously I'm referring to the fact that there aren't enough women in our industry. Uh, it's a very male dominated industry. And I don't know if that's because, um, you know, the, 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 the cyclical uh, catch 22 that people hire people like them and, and, and they just keep repeating the process. I don't know if it's because there's not enough women in STEM, you know, and, and through education, uh, we're not attracting enough engineers. There's probably a lot of cause and effects uh, going on. Um, some maniacal and some just benign, but still we end up with not a lot of women in this industry. How has your journey, you've been in this business a long time. So how, are women treated in our industry today versus when you first came in to our industry? Well, I think that um, there's definitely a lot more structure and training for um, companies to, um, I don't want to say be more accepting in women, but um, let's just say there's, um, I read a statistic that 25% um, of the um, tech sales jobs um, are handled by women right now. That's still um, very low. 
there's, um, considering there's over 50% of women that make up the workplace, but there's, um, over time, you know, whether it's diversity, inclusion, sensitivity, um, fears of lawsuits, all kinds of things that have um, really catapulted companies to um, to be aware of um, treating everybody on the same level of respect. And um, probably, as you mentioned, the, um, the STEM um, education um, programs, um, in, in, encouraging women to go into those areas of study, uh, it certainly seems like it's a lot more on the forefront now than it ever has been. Um, and I, I know back in the day to have a female engineer would, they, I remember being told it could almost like write your own ticket because companies wanted them, there just weren't many you needed to have that fill that blank. And now I just feel like there's more of a, it's a, it's definitely a level playing field and um, people are more looking to those um, trusted, the trusted expertise and, um, and realizing that that education level is just as, um, as good or better than it, it's really not gender based. So, um, and it seemed like also maybe the sales, maybe more of the sales people too might've had more of a, um, opinion on uh, maybe what men were just louder back in the day and had a certain level of um, just baby superiority. Maybe that's too strong, but because they're louder, they must be better. And right. uh, women seem to be more collaborative and listeners and empathetic. And uh, that's what I've seen over mm -hmm. the years. I am, I am happy when I go to conferences now. Um, you know, I do see much more diversity in the presenters than I have in the past. Uh, and, and I'm seeing, I think that's a result of younger people coming into our industry because younger people think a little bit differently. You know, we all are victims of our upbringing and, and, you know, our, our history, we tend to repeat history over and over again. So I am seeing, you know, with the younger, uh, blood coming into our industry, much more diversity than I've seen in the past. And I think, you know, if there are some misogynistic or chauvinistic mentalities in our industry, those are largely retiring out and, and you know, you just get a fresh perspective coming in. Um, I remember uh, traveling with, uh, I don't remember if it was you, Joan, or, or another um, female representative, and um, someone asked a question and the rep female rep answered the question and then the customer looked at me as if I needed to provide validation. And, you know, it, it, I'm just like, I have no idea what she just said. I mean, it's over my head, you know, it's, it was something about another piece of product that I didn't have anything to do with, but that person would rather hear from someone that's has no knowledge. That's a male than someone who's highly trained, you know, in that, in that subject matter, that's a female, you know, it's like, I, I can't validate that. I, I I mean, she's the superstar. I have no idea what's going on, but th th that was then, this is now. So hopefully, you know, a lot of that is, is behind us. Um, Todd, you came to this industry from a completely different industry. And uh, Todd was a cruise ship director for Carnival for a number of years. He was the guy, if anyone who's ever been on a cruise, he was the, the guy that greeted everyone, that gave the announcements over the PA every day, that, that 
uh, headlined, you know, introduced the headliners at the shows and, and did those corny games and, and taught everyone how to buy very expensive diamonds from, you know, <laughs> sketchy shops on a Caribbean island somewhere and all of that. So, uh, and you literally went from that career to working with your father as a manufacturer's representative within the, within the EMS space. I can't think of a, a more radical transition. Um, so, but, but what I find a value is, you know, we, people that are in business, entrepreneurs, you guys are all entrepreneurs. Um, we tend to just kind of repeat, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Hey, it worked then, it should work now. And a lot of times the rules change and we're the last people to find out. And, you know, we can't understand why a certain thing we've been doing for the last 20 years has been successful and now all of a sudden it's not successful anymore. So I think there's an advantage to coming in with this naivety um, and this void of intimate knowledge of, of an industry because you look at things with a very fresh perspective, right? You, you're, you didn't, you know, you can't say, well, you know, I tried that once before. You, you didn't try anything before, you know, for this industry. So how was your journey from, you know, a cruise ship director, uh, uh, being a cruise ship director to uh, coming into this industry? What did you see that you just thought this needs to go and this needs to change? And, and what value do you think you, you brought with that fresh, you know, clean slate mentality? I think all the conflicts and all the wins were just inside me, you know, internally. Uh, it, it, it definitely was a challenge and a huge learning curve to begin with. I mean, I went from hospitality and entertainment, as you mentioned, my salesmanship was just about which stores to shop in port and which tours to go on. And if I didn't know a lot about something, I could kind of fudge my way around the corners. And I was doing presentations in front of 2,500 people and just living larger than life. And so I said, oh, I got this when I started my, my life off of ships. And I walk into my first meeting and I'm literally with you know, graduate level engineers and rocket scientists in the room. And I'm like, I, I can't fudge my way through this. So I think the hardest part starting off was I was just trying to consume myself with knowledge of every single product that I had. And it was impossible because there was so much to learn in such a short time. And I had a few people that took me under their wing and said, hey, you don't need to be the smartest guy in the room. In fact, they hate it when you're the smartest guy in the room. That's their job. You need to be the guy that creates a comfortable environment um, that you know starts uh, introductions and cultivates relationships. So that's what I've always tried to do, and what I've embraced. And I've worked with some people that you know they do like you to have a little bit more knowledge and information, and there's some people that just like you to be that person that that validate everything that they're going through in the process and and also point out different things, as you said, from the stadium perspective versus the field perspective, where you can show them a little bit more about what's going on with the, with, with the entire process instead of just pinpointing, you know, the specific need. So I'm, I'm still learning and I'm, I'm learning. It's all about, you know, the culture uh, of, of each facility and how that differs. It's the respect of the people. Uh, it's also the, the father versus the son and who's running the show. You know, different people have different necessities that they'll embrace but um you know going back to the just taking care of the customer and just believing in yourself and trying to make it if i don't know i will find out for you and i'm going to provide you the best service that i possibly can versus i'm going to try to sell this piece of equipment right now and benefit me you can't do that and uh 
that's where on cruise ships I can kind of fudge my way around and just know, you know, the, the, the more the tour, the specific tour, the better, you know, it looked on your numbers. It, it doesn't work that way in this business. And yeah. it's, it's more about the people. Yeah, very good. Murray, you um, are rather unique. You're the uh, middle generation of your company. Uh, this was your father's company, uh, Murray Percival Sr. Uh, Correct. And then you took this over many, many uh, decades ago. And and then now your children, I think you're three, is it three boys or, or boys? Three boys are, are uh, going to take it over, I, I assume. They're on that journey. How has, well, well Todd and, and Murray have the same challenge, which is just like the old meme, you had one job, don't screw this up, right? So you, you, you've kind of taken over a successful company. Uh, so that definitely provides a high degree of, of pressure um, as opposed to starting from scratch because most people you know, expect a business that starts from scratch to have a high probability of failure. But if it's already proven to be a success and then you come in and screw it up, that's really, you know, that's, that's really on you. So um, how has the journey been, Murray, from taking over a company, putting your stamp on it, and then watching your children take over and their stamp might look quite different than your stamp. Uh, how is that, how is that uh, navigated? Well, how many more hours do we have here to talk about? This? <laughs> we have about seven yeah. minutes. <laughs> oh, no, good. I'm serious. Uh, so Mike, uh, it all starts uh, with the culture. And I think everybody else on the panel would agree with that. So, you know, uh, Murray senior, when he started the company 61 years ago, his three things were number one, uh, we're in this business to support the families of the folks that work for us, um, the individuals as well as their families, help them prosper and grow as families. Number two was uh, always do uh, what's right no matter what. And the third thing was don't forget we're in the money collecting business. And I always got a kick out of that. But the more I think about it is, you know, we can't do all this stuff for free. So we have to keep track of all this and work through these things to um sure we could take care of the first two but you know we just carried on that culture and we're fortunate enough that uh, my brother mark and i and then now our three boys my two sons murray and matt and uh, mark jr who's my nephew feel the same way so our our company is really we're, we're rooted in loyalty we're driven to believe and we're connected through hard work and that's what we believe in and uh if you keep those those things at the forefront that's what really uh, has kept us together and will hopefully continue us on for another 60 years. So that's the, the trick. How hard it is, is it, Murray? And I speak from personal experience when I ask this because I've done the same thing that you're probably doing or going to do. How hard is it to step back and watch your company be run a little bit differently perhaps than you ran it? Um, not, maybe not better, hopefully better, hopefully not worse, but different. Um, how hard is that from your perspective to kind of let go of those reins a little bit and, and let them fly? Well, Mike, I think about that every day. So, you know, I'm uh, getting closer here to the end and, um, uh, it's very satisfying to see these kids in the business and, uh, they all work very hard, uh, but it is difficult at times. And, uh, you know, you want to do it the old ways. If you've been doing it 44 years the same way, it's very, very difficult to let someone else do it their way. But I'm here to tell you, and I think you guys would all agree with me, the younger generation, they're all over this, right? These guys are smart, sharp, fast. Um, 
you know, take chances. And uh, so even though it's difficult, it, it's the right thing. It has to happen. And I'm getting much better at it, Mike. Uh, I really am. So Excellent. And I guess, uh, David, you did the same thing. I mean, you, you kind of took this business over from Ralph, you know, the, yeah. the founder of, of Restaurantics. So you had one job, not, not screwed up I've had as well. One long, right, I've had one long job. But the, the truth is, as everybody's saying, you know, the, the value system has to be intact, but the company has to change. We have to reinvest. We have to rethink the way things are looking forward. The fact that it worked 20 and 30 years ago, while that's great, it's not really relevant any longer. So the fact that we used to, as you said, drive around and just knock on doors, we have to embrace these new technologies. The young people do it better than we do probably, in fact, almost definitely. So I'm letting go to some of the younger guys in our team that are really pushing for you know, better web presence, better, better, better digital engagement, virtual selling to add to the world that we currently live in. So we have to reinvent ourselves. And that's what we're doing. Sure. You know, it's painful, but if I don't do it, and if any of us don't do it, we're going to be left in the dust. So we have to rethink. Yeah, I agree. I, I've long said that for an industry, our electronic assembly industry, which is about the highest tech industry in the world, right? I mean, we, I mean, maybe short of NASA or something, or, you know, you know, we, we lead the world in innovation and technology. Um, in many ways, up until just recently, our communication strategies have been quite Neanderthalic, you know, it, it's been lacking, you know, most people a year and a half ago, resisted a digital meeting and didn't know how to turn on a microphone or, or, you know, log in properly. It was, it, you know, for, for a group of people who, who build high tech products that, that revolutionize the world, um, you know, a lot of us were lacking in those skills. So I think one of the things you know, we were talking about COVID earlier, I think one of the blessings, one of the silver linings of COVID, not worth the number of deaths, obviously, but, but uh, the, the silver lining out of that uh, of many is the fact that, you know, pretty much all of our customers and the world has adapted, adopted, embraced virtual communication. And how much more efficient is that? You know, we can learn more in less time uh, because we cut out all the chit chat. We cut out all the, you know, the, the, the stuff that's not really value added. And now we can get right to the point. We can get the technical information we want. Uh, we can do it 24 hours a day in our underwear. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it just makes um, the, the, the process of, educating our customers, or if your customer educating yourself uh, to make an intelligent, informed decision so much easier and less influenced by opinion and more influenced by fact and discernment and all those things. So I think our industry is better off for this newly learned skill. And I'm, I'm real pleased to see companies like yours and others uh, in this industry adopt and embrace that um, because I think that is, you know, I think we're never going to go back to a hundred percent how it was before uh, because we, we've sure. just learned how to do things way more efficiently and, and effectively than the old method of doing it. And we can actually provide a greater degree of service to more people in a more compact period of time. Because right now my experience with our customers is they're busy everyone is busy um, you know they a lot of people have left uh, the industry due to retirement and and we're replacing those people with fewer people and and 
no one has time anymore for an hour and a half lunch, you know, the old mar two martini lunch. That, I mean, I'm, I'm sure at some locations it still happens, but for the most part, that's not mainstream anymore. You know, people have 10 minutes. G give me your elevator speech, you know, in 10 minutes. They need to make decisions on the fly. And so I think this new medium and, and, and this new uh, effort to digitize our communication efforts is really helping our industry and, you know, make more informed decisions in a shorter period of time. Well, that's about all the time we have. Um, I really appreciate uh, all of you being here. David Leventhal, Restronics, Carol, uh, Joan Kennedy, uh, uh, or Carol, uh, I guess it's, <laughs> sorry, I know I put Carol and then um, you also go by Kennedy, but anyway, That's Joan, fine. Carol Kennedy from Restronics, Murray Percival Jr. from Murray Percival, Todd Whitmer, uh, Todd Whitmer from Whitco Sales, say hi to your father, uh, Tom for me. Um, thank you all being here for being here and thanks for doing the work you're doing. Um, it's uh, it's definitely a joyride, uh, uh, an e-ticket for us old Disneyland uh, fans. You know, it was definitely an e-ticket, uh, th this whole journey. But uh, thanks for being part of it. Thank you, Mike. This was great. Appreciate you pulling yeah, it together. Thanks. Thank of you, course. Mike. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening or watching the Reliability Matters podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so many more. Also, be sure to check out my other podcasts, including the Concept to Creation podcast, where I feature conversations with entrepreneurs within the electronic assembly space, and the Innovations and in Technology podcast, where we discuss innovative products within our industry. All three shows are also available in video format. Check out the Reliability Matters or Concept to Creation or Innovations and in Technology podcasts on YouTube. Just search the show's name and you can find all three shows. Or Go to MikeConrad.com, that's Conrad with the K. All three shows also appear there. Again, thanks for being part of my podcast family. I appreciate you being here. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay happy. And of course, keep doing it right. See you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Reliability Matters podcast. Join us on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for new episodes of Reliability Matters.